Well, it's great to be with you. How many got a little soaked coming into church today? Anybody? Well, we're thrilled that you made it here to Lexington and to Wilmington, to Watertown, to East Lexington, the Christ Church of Amherst online, and especially if you're down in Foxborough. Only one week away to the big launch, and we could not be more excited for God, all that God is going to do in and through this new campus. So the Lord be with you, his grace and power. We are so excited. Can we just, uh, just make some noise here for the Foxborough campuses? We're getting ready for them. We are so excited. <clears throat> Well, today we are continuing our series called The Divine Invitation, and we want to get to the heart of what this invitation is all about, what makes it so worth embracing and so worth spreading. For at the very heart of this divine invitation is the gospel. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard that word, uh, but you, if you haven't and don't know what that word's all about, you've picked a great day to be here. And even if you do know what the gospel's all about, you've picked a great day to be here as well, because experience tells us that often over-familiarity with something can lead to unfamiliarity. In other words, we think we can know something so well, but in the fact that we think we know it, we end up not knowing it that well at all. This often happens with relationships. Say you know a friend or a relative or spouse, and you think you know them so well, and then they say something or do something that totally catches you by surprise, and you realize, maybe I didn't know them that well after all. A lot of us probably have more of a quiet or reserved friend uh, who seems to be pretty shy, but when they go to a Patriots game, they end up painting their whole bodies and standing out in the freezing cold without a shirt on. It seems out of character for them. And in the same way, often when it comes to the church, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the gospel, we think we might know all that it's about, but might end up missing out on capturing its essence. So to begin today, what I would like for you to do as we take a closer look at what the gospel is, is to take out a pen and paper or maybe your smartphone and open up only kind of the notes section in that. And I would like for you to take 30 seconds and write out what you believe the definition of the gospel is. If you have to put it in your own words, what is the gospel? And don't simply just say the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. But what is that good news of Jesus Christ? All right, you got 30 seconds. I'll start now. Set your timer. Five, four, three, two, one. Pencils down, everybody. Now, by a quick show of hands, who thought this was a little harder uh, than they expected it to be? Anyone find this to be a little harder than they expected? I know I did, as I struggled to try and craft today's message. Because to be honest with you, I think the fact that many of us found this to be so challenging convicts me a bit personally and pastorally because if there's anything that we as people who gather together regularly as a church should be able to articulate, it should be what the gospel is, right? 
Now, I'm willing to bet one of the main reasons that we might lack some confidence in sharing this good news with others is because we might not be so sure we know what it is ourselves. Or perhaps what we think the good news of the gospel is might not sound all that good to other people. But today, I hope that both of those things would be changed. We're going to look at three questions today to get at what the core of the divine invitation or the gospel is. The first question we'll look at is this. What is the gospel that Jesus first preached? When he began his ministry and came announcing the gospel, what did he originally say? Then secondly, how is this good news different from what I'm calling the popular partial gospels of today? Could it be possible that what we've written down as the gospel is only part of the bigger message that Jesus came announcing? And then lastly, how can this good news be spread to others, even by ordinary people like you and me who might not all consider ourselves to be that great of speakers. And my hope today is this, that we all would better understand, enter into, and extend the gospel of Jesus. Now, this message is going to feel a little bit more like teaching than maybe the preaching you're used to, so I invite you to keep out that pen and paper or that phone so you can take some notes along the way to review later. So as we begin, we're going to survey the first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to find out what was this message that Jesus first came announcing. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as we listen to these other verses, keep in mind and be listening for what's a theme or a thread that seems to emerge out of all of these texts. Let's skip down now to Matthew 4.23, just a few verses down. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness among the people. Let's now turn over to Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And finally, let's flip over to Luke's gospel, chapter four, verse 43. Here's Jesus speaking. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, as you think about these passages that we've just read, What word or maybe phrases stand out to you? Probably the word that was most consistently used was the word kingdom, kingdom. In Matthew, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, he says the good news of the kingdom. And in Luke, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, let's be honest for a moment. When you wrote down your gospel definition, how many of you included the word kingdom as part of it? Very few of us, if anyone. Now, what's surprising about this is that this is the theme that Jesus began announcing in his ministry of what the good news is. And it's what he talked about more than anything else was kingdom. Yet, when we hear the gospel or attempt to share it, uh, 
it's something we rarely, if ever, talk about, which is kind of discouraging because it's what Jesus came announcing first and most. So let's ask, what is this kingdom that Jesus came proclaiming that is central to the original good news that he shared? Now, by basic definition, the kingdom of God can be defined as the rule or the reign of God. We could say it is the range of God's effective will. That means it's where what God wants done is done. Now, it's not so much a place that we can go to, like, say, the magic kingdom in Disney, but it's more of a domain in which we can enter into no matter where we live. It's a life with God. In fact, Jesus says that kingdom, this kingdom, it is near us or it is at hand. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's kind of October baseball season here. Hopefully today is not the last day for the Red Sox. But a couple years ago, I was out in Kansas City uh, for a conference the very time that the World Series was happening there and the Royals won it all. And ironically enough, uh, the hotel we were staying at all of the uh, commentators and the, the television crew who was putting on and broadcasting the games, they were staying in our hotel. So during some of the breaks, uh, one of the participants of our a conference would say, hey, I just saw the announcer, Joe Buck, walking through the lobby. And then someone else was like, I saw Frank, the big hurt Thomas. And so all of us were like, let's skip out on the conference and let's see if we can find some of these baseball heroes of ours. And about the second day, we were walking in and out of uh, the lobby when my friend Trevor and I saw Pete Rose, the baseball legend, sitting right in the middle of the lobby. We were first like little girls giddy at an Ariana Grande concert, but then we worked up the nerve to go talk to, uh, to, to Pete, and uh, Pete looked thrilled to take this selfie with us. <laughs> and I was about to ask him, hey, who are you betting on to win in tonight's game? But I thought twice he might punch me in the face, so... No black eyes for any of us. But I tell this because hearing how all these baseball legends were in the lobby, it just caused all of our kind of uh, radars to go up. We were like fully present. We were so alert when we were coming in and out of that hotel because we wanted to see uh, someone like Pete Rose or Frank Thomas or some of the other folks that were there. And just as we were paying attention like that, when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, He's calling us in the same way to be wide awake, fully present, because something big is happening around us that we might not see. God is at work. He is on the move. And if we pay close enough attention, we can get in on this good news of the kingdom. Although we can't physically see this and it can't be empirically verified through the scientific method, it doesn't mean that this kingdom is no less real. Jesus says it is here, it is among us. God is with us and he wants us to get in on what he's doing. Dallas Willard in his landmark book, The Divine Conspiracy, connects the gospel with the kingdom of God in this way. He says, the gospel Jesus first announced is the good news that no matter who you are or wherever you are, you can be involved in what God is doing in this universe. In other words, a life beyond this life is available here and now. It's a life working behind the scenes with God, joining his efforts to make this world more like heaven and less like hell. That's the work of the kingdom. And you don't need to change one big aspect of your life at all 
to get in on it. You don't need to get a new job. Your relational status doesn't need to change. You don't need to move somewhere else. Life in the kingdom of God is available here and it's available now. You just have to open up your eyes as you walk through the hotel lobby of your life because you don't know who you might see or what you might get to be a part of. That is really good news. It's really good news to all those who feel lonely. Because in the kingdom of God, we remember that we are never alone. God is with us. This is really good news for all who feel powerless or helpless. Because there is a strength and help available to us that is not of this world. It's really good news to anyone who feels guilty or ashamed. Because in the kingdom, there is forgiveness, there is freedom, and there is new life. This is really good news to everyone who is grieving. And these days, it feels like that's pretty much all of us. Because in the kingdom, we can remember that this life is not all there is. And one day, God is going to wipe every tear away from our eyes. This is really good news for those who try and give off the impression that we've got it all together. Because in the kingdom, we don't have to have it all together because Jesus is the one holding all things together. The good news of the kingdom is great news for every single person on the planet because there is more going on than meets the eye. Jesus is inviting us to unite our lives with his. Now, because of how significant this opportunity is, Jesus goes on to challenge people to arrange their lives in such a way that the kingdom of God becomes our primary focus in our daily lives. In Matthew 6.33, he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, the word seek here in this passage is in the present tense, which means we are to be continually seeking the kingdom of God. It's not something we do just once or something we accept one time and then move on with life. It is to be an ongoing action that we participate in. So how do we seek the kingdom? Well, let's pick up where we left off in Mark's gospel to see what Jesus does next after announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. This is Mark 1, verses 16 through 20. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So not only in Mark, but also in Matthew and Luke, after Jesus begins preaching this good news of the kingdom, each writer records that Jesus next calls disciples. I believe this sequence of announcing the good news of the kingdom and then calling people to be Jesus' disciples is indicative of the fact that we can experience the good news of living in the kingdom now by becoming disciples of Jesus. Not just Christians, but disciples. Disciples is a word that means a student or an apprentice of Jesus. It's about learning, to, learning a practice with someone. In this case, discipleship means with Jesus, learning the practice of living well with him and from him. In fact, Discipleship is so critical to Jesus' message that in the New Testament, 
The word disciple is used 269 times and the word uh, Christian is only used three times. Clearly, discipleship is central to the invitation of the gospel because discipleship, it's ultimately becoming more and more like Jesus in our everyday lives and thinking. And the more we take on the character of Christ, the more life in the kingdom we're gonna be able to experience. This is good news. Yet tragically, this message of discipleship is almost always admitted from the message of the gospel when we hear it. So thus far, we have explored what the gospel that Jesus first preached was. Now let's see how this message differs from what I'm calling the popular partial gospels of today. Now the two most popular partial gospels that we'll just briefly examine, while true to a certain extent, they speak very little to the whole flourishing life that Jesus calls us to now. And instead, they almost exclusively focus on sin, our personal sin and our societal sin. Now, while these articulations of the gospel are certainly true accounts, I would contend they're not complete accounts of the gospel based on what we've seen so far. So the first of these popular partial gospels is what I'm calling the gospel on the right. My left, your right. The gospel on the right is probably what most of us who have come from church traditions similar to Grace Chapel are familiar with. And it's what we think of when we think of the gospel. To put it simply, this gospel says that Jesus died to pay for your sins and that if we only believe that he did this, we will go to heaven when we die. We might call this a gospel for death because it really focuses us in on what's going to happen to us after we die. If we just pray to receive Jesus and trust for his forgiveness, then we have full assurance. Now, I don't dispute this acclaim at all. God made us to be in a right relationship with him, but because of our own sinful, selfish tendencies, we have rebelled against him, and that has brought a chasm between us and God. It's one kind of relationship that we can't restore by our own power, but God, by his grace, through sending Jesus, died on the cross to receive the punishment that we deserve for our sin so that in him we might be forgiven and freed and have eternal life forever. It's total grace. But on its own, if this is all that we talk about in the gospel message, we miss out on what Jesus came announcing, namely the kingdom of God. And what this gospel of the right can lead to, it's, it can lead us to merely trust Jesus for what's going to happen to us after we die and not challenge us to trust him with how we live here and now by doing what he said. So if the gospel on the left was concerned with how, or on the right, sorry, was concerned with what to do with our personal sin, then the gospel on the left focuses on dealing with the sin of society, societal sin. This version of the gospel has often been called the social gospel, and it's mainly been adopted by more liberal branches of Christianity. Its overarching premise is this. The gospel message is that God himself has stood behind liberation equality, and community, and that Jesus died to promote the oppressed, and that he lives on in all efforts favoring them. Now, this theology over time has kind of emerged into a social ethic that can translate following Jesus almost exclusively into protesting on behalf of those who are marginalized. 
As you might have guessed, love becomes the rallying cry of this good news. Love, though, when applied in this context, has nothing to do with cross-like love as much as it is about treating all people as, uh, not as different while liberating them to be able to be enabled to do what they want. Now, aspects of this gospel on the left certainly ring true to Jesus. For example, in Luke 4, he states that he came to bring good news to the poor, to release captives, and to set the oppressed free. That's a true message of liberation if I have ever heard one. But while there is much that is very attractive and even the biblical about this message, it can present some serious distortions to the gospel that Jesus originally preached. Ultimately, this gospel can and often has declined into merely being about freeing people to do what they want. And thus, one's desires become the most sacred thing in anything that tries to contest one's desires, even including Jesus' teachings, can be relegated to being evil and wrong. But as experience teaches us, all too often, the very worst thing that can happen to us is for us to get what we want. I think it is the lie of the enemy to, to convince us that doing whatever feels good is ultimately going to give us the good life. This message of freeing us to fulfill our desires, I believe, actually makes us slaves to our desires. So let me try and summarize this all with a little diagram here. If the gospel on the right is about a gospel for our personal sin and a gospel for death, then the gospel on the left is one all about social action. While both of these gospels have aspects that reflect the very message of Christ, I think they miss the central thing that Jesus began teaching and, and, and what he talked about with the good news being and that Jesus' message was about good news for life. It was good news for living here and now in the kingdom of God. And the way that we can live that life in the kingdom is through discipleship. Now, what's really powerful if this starts to become what we see as the central aspect of the gospel is that it can connect the gospel on the right with the gospel on the left. See, what makes this life available in Christ and his kingdom now is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he has conquered death so that all who trust in him have confidence in Jesus can live well in the kingdom here and now. And then Jesus hasn't just saved us so we can have this life with him and be personally benefiting of all of this blessing, but he wants us to then work to build about and bring about a just society, a good social order. So this gospel for life naturally will flow into social action as it flows out of Christ's work for us. This is really good news. Can you imagine if this aspect of the gospel were preached regularly what that could mean for our world today. I love how Dallas Willard would say this. He says, there's hardly a problem in the world that apprenticeship to Jesus won't solve. There's hardly a problem in the world discipleship won't solve because the church is to be about discipleship and discipleship is for the world. Here's why. Discipleship is about our character transformation. And the more our character reflects the character of Christ, the more we will be able to bring about societal transformation. 
I think this is so encouraging because I think in our world today, we are in dire need of people and systems and economies and leaders who reflect the character of Christ, aren't we? We need people who know what's right and do what's right. And that can only truly come about from Christ. So here's my shot at trying to define the gospel if I were gonna write it out with a little more than 30 seconds to do so. The gospel is the good news that no matter who you are or where you are, you can be involved in what God is doing. That's the kingdom. You can be involved in what he's doing in the universe as you learn to live as Jesus' disciple. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes this remarkable new opportunity available to us. So what's God doing? He's overcoming evil with good. He's bringing light to the darkness. He's bringing justice to the forgotten, to the forgotten and he's bringing life out of death. That's the good news. And just to clarify here, to make sure we're all on the same page, I am not saying at all that we are saved by discipleship because we are saved by grace through faith because of Christ alone. But I am saying this, we aren't just saved, we aren't saved by discipleship, but we are saved for discipleship. We aren't just saved from sin and death, but we are saved for living abundantly and obediently now. That's really good news. So how can we then, our third question, spread this good news to others? Let me give you a few quick things. First, we've got to be disciples ourselves. We've got to really choose to become people who live their lives the way Jesus would live it if he were us. Because you can't share what you don't possess. Now, to be a disciple is not to be insinuating at all that one has to be perfect. No, you can be a very raw and incompetent beginner and still be a disciple. That's really good news for a lot of us, myself included. So to be a good disciple, we have to have a plan to become more and more like Christ. Willard would call this a curriculum for Christ-likeness. If you look at the ways in your life that you're not like Jesus, what could be a plan that you could put in place that you could follow so that you could become more and more like him. We need a plan to do this. As my dad used to say, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So we don't want a plan to fail. We need a good plan. So first, we need to become like uh, disciples of Jesus ourselves. Secondly, how to spread the gospel? This good news cannot be spread apart from prayer. This good news can't be spread apart from prayer. Just imagine that Jesus, for a moment, was going to answer all the prayers that you prayed this past week, if he answered all the prayers you prayed last week, how many more people would be disciples today than last week? I think we have too easily forgotten the power of prayer when it comes to spreading the gospel, my friends. Right now, I'd love for you to think of one or two people who don't know this message, this really good news, that you hope they would hear it and receive it. And then commit to praying for them regularly. I just imagine how many thousands of people we could be praying for if everyone on our campuses did this regularly. Pray that the Spirit would give you an opportunity to share. Pray that the Spirit would transform your life so that it looked like good news to other people. Pray that others would be hungry for this good news. 
Last week, one of our leaders in Alpha, our ministry and community for those seeking to understand what Christianity is all about, one of our leaders came and said that 15 years or so ago, we would have about 100 or so people in Alpha. Uh, That's incredible. Our numbers aren't quite there this time around as we are kicking up Alpha on Thursday night here in Lexington and Sunday in Lexington and then next Monday the 16th in Wilmington. And this was a great reminder that we as a church need to be praying for those who don't know Christ personally so that we might be able to invite them to a group like Alpha. And we can even come and attend that with them if we don't feel like we're able to articulate the gospel well ourselves. This is just one way that we as a church really try and reach out to others but it's not the only way. We need to be prayerful that God would open opportunities for us to share our faith at work, in the neighborhood, uh, to bring good news to those who are hurting everywhere we go because people are hurting everywhere we go. So the good news cannot be spread apart from prayer. And then lastly, the good news is most often best shared in relationship. It's best shared in relationships with people that trust you and whom you trust. So we need to be investing in the lives of others, not simply for the purpose so we can share good news with them, but because in our relationally isolating world, we need relationships. And we as Christians need to be people who help build community. That's a way to love our neighbors in, uh, just to love our neighbors right there. That's a way to do that. And it's an important thing we ought to do. But most of us have relationships with people who are not believers, who are not disciples of Jesus So when we have the opportunity to share the good news with them, when God kind of opens a door for that opportunity, what should we say? Let me just offer three brief ideas. First, tell your story. Tell your story. What have you found? The way that you can help tell your story is to ask people about their stories. What are things they're really seeking out and striving for in life? What are some of the ideals and principles and little nuggets of wisdom that people live by? And as you ask people those questions, almost always they will ask you the same questions in return. So when people ask you about your life, don't hesitate to talk about Jesus. Talk about how he has taught you to live. That's another big nugget here. Uh, we should, when we talk about Jesus, start with life and not with sin or death. Don't get to that gospel on the right, but that gospel in the center Or we talk about how Jesus has helped us live better here and now, live with more peace, more hope, more understanding, more patience, even though if we don't have that stuff down perfectly, he's helped us live with more love and confidence. And then as you talk about that, keep asking questions with others. Most people have a lot of opinions about Jesus. So feel free to ask them and then just answer as you're able. You don't have to have all those answers, but answer honestly and authentically. And as you talk about Jesus, this might sound like one of the most surprising things I say today, but I think it could be one of the most radical when it comes to how we can share our faith in this world today. When you talk about Jesus and extend the good news to others, invite people to enlist Jesus as their teacher and not merely as their savior. One of the questions all of us need to ask, but few of us do, is this question. Who is teaching me to live? Who's teaching you to live right now? We're all being taught to live by somebody. Most of us just don't realize who that is. In middle school and high school, peer pressure often becomes our greatest teacher where we do whatever is necessary just to fit in, just to survive. And then from there, we kind of graduate into 
being taught to live by the American dream, pursuing education and pursuing uh, marriage, two and a half kids. And if your American dream is like mine, 10 dogs, that would be so awesome. But I'm only at one at this point, but keep praying for me. Share with people how you have enlisted Jesus to be your teacher because you're convinced that he has the right way of living that everybody needs, that he has the answers and the strategy for living the best way possible. So perhaps you ask people this, hey, would you consider joining me and learning to live from Jesus and with him? And as people decide to do that, they will inevitably make Jesus their savior. But start with making him teacher. And here's the big question for us though, if we're gonna make that ask to others, we have to carefully consider if we have asked Jesus to be our teacher, are we learning to live from him personally? Or is there something else or someone else who's teaching us to live here and now more than Jesus? So as we wrap up today, Hopefully you've seen how this good news of the gospel is really good news for living here and now. The gospel is the good news that no matter who you are or wherever you are, that you can be a part of what God is doing in this universe as you learn to live as Jesus' disciple. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes this remarkable new opportunity available to every single person. This is really good news that I think everyone needs to hear now because the gospel is not just about trying to get people into heaven, but about getting heaven into people now. And as we take a closer look at all that Jesus has done, we discover that he didn't simply come announcing the good news, but he, in fact, was the good news himself. Jesus is the gospel. It is Jesus who brought the most beautiful expression of heaven to earth by taking on a human form, living amongst us, and he embodied how heaven can come to earth through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his evil-destroying resurrection. And just as he embodied this, he calls us to do the same. And he provides every single one of us the greatest opportunity in the world to do so. He says the kingdom of God has come near. Come, be my disciple. My brothers and sisters, how will you respond to this divine invitation today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you by your grace, your favor, your action on our behalf, beyond what we could ever do on our own, that you invite us into this life with you, this life in the kingdom here and now. And we can get in on that by choosing to be disciples, people who want to learn to live our lives the way you would live them if you were us. If you are here today and haven't made that choice, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that now. I invite you just to say a prayer to Jesus. It's a very simple one. Jesus, I enlist you as my teacher. Show me how to live. Help me to be like you. Forgive me and free me. I want to be your apprentice. Take a moment to do that now. And I know here as a church, we know many, many people who are not on this path of discipleship or are not living life in the kingdom of God. 
I invite you now just to whisper the names of one or two or three folks who you hope might hear this good news and receive it and choose to live this life now. Whisper those names. Father, you have heard the names of many people on this earth that you love. We pray, God, that your love would connect with them. Help us to be those who spread this good news by how we live, by how we focus on others and not ourselves, and as people who learn to live like Jesus. Continue to teach us day by day, God, and help us to be fully present by your spirit to how the kingdom is at work amongst us because we want to be a part of what you're doing. That is such good news. So we pray this all in the great name of Jesus and everyone pray together. Amen.